All right, Wayne, it's the day after the night before one of the most devastating losses in the last couple of weeks. I was going to say in Europe, but honestly, it's really not as bad as uh, some of the other stuff we've seen. So, yes, United lost 3-2 to Galatasaray at Old Trafford. So we're going to talk a little bit about the game and the implications for the team, Eric Ten Hag, our position in the Champions League and going forward. The scenes we saw at the end with Galatasaray fans en masse in the wrong parts of the stadium and what that means and why it might have happened. There's the reports that the takeover may take a different direction with Sir Jim Ratcliffe prepared, according to reports, to take a minority position. And then we've got a game to lose against Brentford at the weekend. That's a lot to cover. How are you doing first? Have you recovered? Not really. Be talking about this. My thought was, my first thought was, we've got to talk about what went wrong. And I think maybe what's going wrong is whenever you schedule me in for the podcast, it's always after a loss or some kind of trauma. So I don't know whether I'm to blame or you're to blame for it, but it's definitely one of us or a combination of the both. It'd be kind of minority report, wouldn't it? I pre schedule you for the loss I know that's going to come. <laughs> so- yeah. I'm not, uh, yeah. I'm not over it. I was very sad last night and it leads to sadness now. And I, I don't really know. I, I guess mm. we've got an hour to articulate that, but it is a sadness. I, I was that, kind of thinking the same way. I was feeling like it's through, I'm going through the seven stages at the moment. Yeah. And I've been very angry. Actually, I might have got over the sadness. I'm on to acceptance. I'm just like, uh, sorry, I cut you off in your prime. You didn't, no, you, you were coming in right at right, the right time, but I'm not, I'm not talking about 10 org. I'm talking about the process, the 10 year process. And we're, we've all felt all of those stages, but it's like a, a more profound sadness in terms of like, here we are again. What do we do from this moment in time? And we've talked about all of the different factors over the last few weeks and the repeated cycles and everything like that. But when you see it play out and you see everything like it happened last night and you come away from it and everyone's still doing the same old things in terms of bashing the players and bashing the manager. And I'm not saying tiresome. It's not tiresome. It's just sad to look at because it's such, it's a disassociation from everything that I associate with with the club and i think that's the sadness yeah and not now obviously because that's, this is what is common ground for the club but it's just it's not what i recognize and that's the thing that makes me sad because i, I look at it and i think sometimes i think there are logical steps and we could talk and we have talked about them you know the logical steps to sort of pull back but you and i are supporters we're not running football clubs and we're not running football teams so what we think is logical is obviously without the inside knowledge i know the call has never come yeah. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just waiting yeah. for the call. Like, Ed, we've realised the error of our ways. We'd like you to take over United. Here's an unlimited budget. I, I just don't understand why no one's done that. Yeah. But you, one day, one day they'll see it. We are... Hey. Uh, well, we're in a, a similar position to the Mourinho exit, aren't we? That there's not an obvious... Uh, we talked about this last time. There's not an obvious outside yeah. candidate. So, so maybe... And, and, it, and the club just can't even go there. I know we can't help but talk about it. Because whenever a team loses as much as United are losing at the moment, six defeats in 10 games this season, and they also lost half their preseason games as well. I'm not going to hold that against Eric. 
then then pressure is on at any club. But of course, at an elite club like United, or should I say, formerly elite club like United, or is that is that too harsh? It is. And, and of course, there's going to be pressure, and and it's it's made it's perhaps even stronger the pressure because all of the things that we've spoken about over the last few years that we felt were going wrong the the over the over indexing on commercial things at the club rather than the football side the the lack of resources given to managers at various times it almost felt like well maybe the new regime is getting this right better right we have a football director we have a substantial scouting department we have not only just one football director but a whole team around murta and a technical director and 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 money has been made available for the transfer market and we back the manager and all the things that everyone's like asked for and we still feel like we're in the same cycle of of some a few steps forward and then a load of steps back that has happened under every manager since fergie left yeah, my point, by the way, just before we get, we're going to talk about the match. But my, my point was that we're, we're scrabbling around now for who might succeed Tenog if that situation comes. And I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm a long way off calling for the manager's head, but I mean, the, there aren't that many candidates left. So maybe if you do get, oh, in that I CV, give you two. I give you two words: Antonio Conte. No, I'm joking. joking. No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm, I hate that. I'm saying Ed. I'm saying Ed. Get your CV in. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, just oh, yeah, get yeah. it prepared. Do you know what I'm saying? Conte, come on, come on. Are we getting the bleep machine? I, out I haven't yet taken any coaching courses, but you know I'm prepared to do it in the course of of taking over. And it's a very long time since I even played football manager, so maybe a bit rusty. Uh, but I, I reckon I can throw a few teacups and hand out yeah. some halftime oranges. That's all that's needed, really. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about. We've gone five or six minutes. Like, let's get, get into the meat. We've of got to get onto the game. What happened? We? Yeah, it happened. Oh, dearie um, me, dearie me. There's some familiar patterns here, weren't there? In terms of conceding goals straight after United scored, this seems to have happened an awful lot. And I'm not quite sure why that is happening. Though I suspect there's a vacuum of leadership, mm. uh, and of course, a whole bunch of injuries. Not helping. Yeah. Um, I would, but that that definitely it it fits that pattern, doesn't it? I mean, I think we conceded twice shortly after we'd scored last night. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and that is a pattern recently as well. I mean, it's just I I do think it's difficult to analyze as a whole, but I think there are a few trends you can look at. And I think the first is the injury crisis. You can't um, legislate for that. It is having a massive impact on on United's fortunes at the moment. The other is a massive, massive hit in confidence in this squad. And those kind of things are very, very difficult to turn around. Momentum in in football is one of the hardest things to catch lightning with. And once it goes, it's very difficult to bring it back, especially when it's like on a runaway train derailed. And we've had that a few times. We've seen it. It's usually the end game for for managers when when that's happened. Um, Yeah. But... I, I I think now is the time to look at the other conditions around that loss of confidence because you can say the manager is one aspect of it and certainly, you know, his his tactical approaches aren't always the best at the moment, but then you look at he, he changed the shape again He's last night. He's trying to make a lot of compromises, isn't he? Yeah. So. Exactly. I, but I, I do think now to maybe we turn maybe turn 
the finger round to stop pointing there, different different places like for example Marcus Rashford runs through one on one and he has thirty yards to think about this run he's going through. Rashford last season just blasts that into the net. And you can't yeah. convince me and I've been thinking about this. I was thinking about it as it happened. As he was running, I'm thinking, please don't cross this just because everyone has been telling you that you're selfish. Sometimes it's all right to be selfish and blast the ball in the bloody net. And I think, I honestly think there's a, a big part of him that he's listening to too much outside noise and he, he, he squares it. And even there's a possibly a second where you can tell he's thinking about squaring it. And then he just decides to do it because he thinks, or maybe he's thinking, I'm going to get criticised, and then the pass is wrong, everything's all wrong with it. You can't convince me that yeah. that's not the product of every all this outside noise. And I think then, don't get me wrong, uh, this is a different thing to criticism because he, he deserves criticism for poor form, like they deserve praise. That's the footballer's game. They deserve praise for good form, and they, they get criticism yeah. for bad form. Yeah, they, yeah. They, everyone expects that. But we all know that United particularly this United when everything is studied in microscopic detail and you're looking over everything, every single player, to the point where their families are coming out and having to talk on social media. As much as we think, oh, that seems a bit odd. But that just shows you the pressure that they're under. You can tell it in the decision-making with every pass that they make, every safe pass that they make, every time they, they play a pass that looks good for the numbers, but it doesn't help the teammate that they're in, in the position that they're in on the pitch. You see it too often with the the safe choices and things like that. And that's a product, at least partly, of what an element of the support have done. And, and I don't mean the match-going support, and I don't mean the general support, like long-term supporters like you or I making an observation about trends and form. I'm talking about the mm. someone posting a thread about every mistake that someone has made and mm. tagging that player my, in my and new, then going to uh, town on it. For years, Paul and I were convinced that Fergie was listening to the pod because he started doing things that we were suggesting so we were pretty sure that he was taking it all on board and well the, the great man really got inspiration you know, so. I, I, I no, I, and I'm not doubting that because it was always generally well-mannered and, and well-intentioned advice what I, and, and it would be if the players were listening to it now but what I'm tell, saying is there's this deviant side of the people who are posting these threads and failed compilations of our own players and they're getting tagged into yeah. these things, into threads, and then loads of these other fans who are not posting constructive criticism are just wailing into boot the Piling player when he's on. down. And, yeah. and they, they will be seeing a lot of it. And if they're not seeing it, the relatives are seeing it and they're talking about it. We know that that's the case because they're t they've openly talked about it. And yes, yeah, yeah. That we are seeing, we're not seeing a complete result of that because there's loads of other factors. But what you saw last night, at least in some of the actions, certainly in that Rashford shot, I am convinced of it. Right. But I think it's indicative of the wider malaise is this massive drop in confidence that we are not helping if we continue to kick them while they're down. It's just... Yeah. I, I mean, I definitely don't want to pile in on Marcus Rashford. He's he's one of our own. He had a fantastic season last season. He's overcome a lot of injury ad adversity. He's been shifted all around the team. And all of this stuff, which is not constructive to building a successful career. And he overcame that and he's had a difficult start to the season. And the strange thing about that Marcus Rashford incident that you mentioned was that he did everything right until the last thing. 
he bent his run perfectly, he timed it perfectly, he looks up, he's aware, he gets away from the defender, he gets into exactly the right position to shoot or pass either or, and then the doubt creeps in. Yeah. The doubt that wouldn't have happened if he wasn't overthinking things last season. And maybe, maybe if it was on the other side of the pitch, he wouldn't have thought twice. He'd have felt more confident. Maybe it's just partly the wrong place. But yeah, confident Marcus Rashford sticking that in the top corner at the near post or across the keeper. Or even if he decides to play the ball, weights it properly. Yeah. But the strange thing about it was that he did do that for Rasmus Hoyland's first goal. I mean, it's a brilliant ball on the half volley. Exactly, yeah, magnificent. It's difficult to execute, and 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 maybe that's like because it's so difficult, he's not thinking about it. Just or perfect into er- his head. Earlier in the game when there's nothing, you know, like United have started games generally well, and so he's, you know, he's doing good form. Nothing's gone wrong in that first five minutes or so, so or like first 10, 15 minutes, nothing went wrong. So he's got that. But I think, yeah, there's a really good comparison there. You, you, and Rashford also scored pretty much an identical goal against Burnley in the League Cup last season where, you know, where he shot and he scored from that position. And then you look at Hoyland a few minutes late after the Rashford chance, he scores a goal almost exactly the same as he's broke free and scores. And that's the product of a player who's not yet had a pile on, on him. But in two years' time, when... When oh, we can sun- ruin him. Don't worry. Exactly. Yeah. No, exactly. And you know, he's crossing for Palestra, who's still at the club after maybe two loan spells. I mean, two years and then he'll cross and then Palestra will fluff it because everyone's getting on the backs. And it's just, look, I, and that's far from the biggest problem of, of last night. The defending was atrocious. No, well, exactly. We, United didn't lose because Marcus Rashford didn't score that goal, although exactly. I mean, obviously and lost by one. You could say that, but. Mostly United lost because the defending was pub standard, just horrendous from players who are better. I mean, it, so I guess Amrabat's involved in two of them, one getting out of position and they're able to play around him. I did kind of think this would happen when I saw him in his first game come on the left back and start wandering into midfield. I was like, hmm, switch a ball here or yeah. the overload's going to cause us a lot of problems. Not his fault. He's playing out of position. I, I, although Ten Hag claimed it, no one can actually find a time where he's playing at left back. I don't think, even at Utrecht, maybe, maybe there were a couple of games. So, yeah, uh, um, forgivable to get out of position. The I think it's the, is it the third goal where he makes the mistake. He he gets caught with the ball, passes it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. bad pass. That that's you don't expect that. Actually, he's better on the ball than that. He's more composed than that. Maybe that's the match situation that's got to him. But for the, for the first goal, Amrabat out of position, Lindelof is nowhere. Did Frank get megged or got turned really easily? So much. The the penalty, which of course they didn't score. Casemiro did well. He, in a sense, he did well to get back, but I think a physically stronger, quicker, younger Casemiro would be in the right place to start with and be able to make the tackle rather than take the player out and get himself sent off. Uh, what other mistakes were there? So many defensively, just wide open for the winning goal. Just unbelievable. Drive a tractor through that. Banana so, as well. Unfortunately, I banana. Been, oh my god. Having having just having. Oh, this is. I, I, I hate doing this. You know that I do. I've just spent a couple of minutes passionately defending Rashford, the, the beleaguered Rashford. But there, it's worrying with Anana. It looks. 
he doesn't look right. I don't remember thinking this about him when he was at Ajax or Inter, and, and granted, I didn't watch all of his games, but I don't ever remember thinking, oh, he's a, he's a bit dodgy. He might have the yips at some point. I, like, yeah. there were def- there's definitely times when you can see it in the data that he either makes mistakes or is j- only just above par on his post-shot expected goals against. So, you know, only just above the better, the average keeper in terms of, like, shot stopping. So I kind of suspected generally shot stopping would be, what you know, a, a compromise in order to get a player who helps United build out from the back. But right now he's not really doing either. His, his shot save percentage is in the toilet. He's about three or four goals underwater on the post shot expected goals against and uh, caveats around like the limited nature of that data. He's making visible mistakes. He doesn't look confident in those one-on-ones at all. He's backpedaling as fast as possible. He went down so bloody easily. He basically pointed to where the ball should go. Yep. Like, oh, man, have we ruined him already? It's a stage, Ed, that's like, it is the uh, single most, uh, yeah, right, Manchester United podcast by Storage United players. A lot of players have said this. It's the, the most difficult, the most single difficult position in world football because of the amount of scrutiny that's on you. So it's not necessarily a criticism of his ability, but it could be a criticism of his temperament, regardless of what seems like a great positive attitude because You've seen a World Cup winning goalkeeper come to Old Trafford. The the thing, what he, he looks like goalkeeping doesn't come natural to him. And that's what makes me think. It, it, what I mean is, in the sample size of him playing at Old Trafford, goalkeeping doesn't look like it's a natural thing for him to do. And that's a temperament issue. It's nothing to do with ability because we know that he's generally a world-class goalkeeper, but we haven't seen anything. You've mentioned the stats. You've reeled them off. I, I do wonder whether the pressure's getting to him. Tom, producer Tom, who will always be producer Tom, even if he doesn't produce the show anymore because he's too big for us. He moved on, Hollywood. So fame, Emmy Awards, all of that. Anyway, producer Tom compared it to John O'Shea going in goal, so he looks like a... An outfielder in goal, which I thought was harsh on John O'Shea because he was pretty good in the Kept a clean sheet, yeah. But then there is the element of you said the 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 caveat of the defence, and this is you can look at the defenders, and Lindelof has been very poor, Dallow has been extremely poor, Varane looks at sea in the midst of all that. So does Anana, maybe, and Amrabat. Um, you know, he said about ruining Onana. I don't think that's maybe it's fair. I don't know. I, I worry about that with Amrabat because he's a he's a brilliant midfielder, potentially like continental class, maybe world class midfielder, and like unsung world class midfielder because he's got all the attributes and he's got that run of form. But you can't anyone who, who saw the game against Palace on Saturday, like we talked about the the, the League Cup game. And you thought, all right, well, he looked all right in that position because Palace offered nothing. But then after 30, 40 minutes against Palace on Saturday, you knew that he was out of his depth. It was the wrong thing to do. And if there had to be an emergency, that better emergency, and I'm saying this obviously not on the training pitch, it's just my observation as a fan, that you would switch him and Dallow and put Dallow on the left because at least he's played there before. And when Amrabat's there, he's not there. He's somewhere else. That means we're playing with three defenders and 
I don't know if this is very obvious on, on watching on the television, but when Amrabat moves, it's not just one side of the defense that moves. Everyone is moving all over the place. Lindelof switches place with, switches places with Varane. Dalot will move up into a, a position that's not familiar. In fact, I've seen sometimes where Amrabat will be missing. So he's not in his, his left back position. Uh, although, for the first five minutes last night, I thought, oh, he's playing left back. He's actually playing left back. And then that, that went to pot and he went somewhere else. But there, there was one moment and it was in the, uh, it was in the second half. And I don't think it run away from us at that moment in time where Amrabat was out of position. Lindelof was holding in the middle. Varan tried to advance and he was playing almost like right wing back. And Dalo was adjacent yeah. to him. He was like, so they were playing. It was like a, a two man defense. And Varan was playing almost like a holding midfielder in front of Dalo. And don't get me wrong, he'd moved in. He was looking for the ball, but there was no cohesion in the back line. And you were looking at that thinking they just need one good pass, one interception and one pass and it's over. And we saw that with yeah. like, they, they did that three or four times and, um, and the winning goal. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it came so, from exactly a situation like that. And it's like watching, you remember the, the Liverpool game last season? I'm sure that we probably did the, the, the not last season, the Ollie one, the five nil one, when we conceded the same goal five times from play, trying to play yeah, out. Right. And, and it was kind of like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And I can remember saying like four or five times in that first half, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Even like people chant. I just express incredulity, like, what, 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 even though they can't hear. And it's the same thing last night and, and in, in recent yeah. games. It's why are you doing the, you, all of you are international class players. You've all played international football. Most right. Of, uh, everyone in tournaments, right. right? So why are they making yeah. mistakes that are fairly basic? You, when things yeah, are going right. wrong, even, even like, even you can pick like the injury list may be long and it's, it's getting shorter, thankfully. But every single player on that pitch is an international, has played high-level football, has played European football. Uh, and it's shocking to me that I can't account for why this team would look nothing like a Ten Hag team. Ten Hag team at Ajax, they weren't, they weren't slaves to a philosophy like, say, a Louis van Gaal side has been. They were pragmatic, but they played possession-dominant, good football out from the back playing the percentages, not ter- in terms of like launching it long and trying to get lucky, but playing the percentage that if you have 60% possession, you'll be able to craft enough chances to win a game of football, right? And that's, it's kind of what, we're, and, and pressing high in order to force those turnovers in, the, in your attacking third, the opposition's defensive third. And you, you, and, and, and the aut- automations that go with that and the patterns of play that you expect and the kind of modern European football with a ten hug slant to it that's kind of what we expected and we've been waiting for that to happen that we're like ah yeah it's clicked and i don't think it has yet and that's the that's the really kind of disappointing thing and i don't think and it's an unfair comparison i'm going to make but if manchester city had nine ten eleven injuries they have a depth of squad that's obviously stronger than ours but the players that come in would be completely familiar with the system and I don't think they would radically change how they play. Might not be as good 
and that's kind of it's kind of it's worrying me a little bit that that Ten Hag, eighteen months into this job, hasn't been able to get the whole squad playing in a way that you can recover from injuries or suspensions, and that it was still too reliant on individuals. Yeah, and individual moments of brilliance where our best individuals are not fit or out of form. Yeah. And and that's just the whole house of cards has crumbled because of that. And it shouldn't have done. I, I agree. Be, should be more solid foundations. But I think, no, I think you, it's a really good comparison, actually. Even though you said it's unfair, I think it's good. But it, it's also wise then to, to take that into consideration and say, well, he, Guardiola's got there because he's been there for seven years and he's had the backing to turn over that squad as ruthlessly yeah. and as expensively as as he has done. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily the right thing because he, that he's needed at Old Trafford with Ten Hag because we've seen, you've just mentioned Ajax there and you're talking about players with a different, we're talking about players with a different skill set against a different level of opposition. And obviously at this moment in time, there's A, an injury crisis and B, a lot of the fit players are unfortunately the players who we were trying to move on. And and obviously that creates a situation whereby, hate to say it, everyone wanting to be too doom and gloom, you're going to see more performances like last night. That's not the bottom. We're not at the bottom yet. I'm really sorry to say there's something worse coming. And I don't know. I just would not like to predict what that is, but it is coming. And I would, I just want to say with that, take into account what the man, the, the cards the manager is dealing with. I know like it, it, we can do that. And then it's a matter of what, who's above him doing the same kind of thing, but he's not, he's obviously not blameless because the thing what you need to do when you are in such a crisis, you don't, you don't experiment. You go back to the, the yeah. basic fundamental and we're experimenting too much. He's experimenting with yeah, yeah. the defense and what's in front of the defense. He's doing different shapes. And yeah. I don't think I, I don't know whether experimentation is the right word. I know what you mean, but I, I think he's, he is fitting square pegs into round holes because he is desperate and he's trying to find solutions. But the problem is that in trying to find those solutions in running those experiments, you're, you're yeah, playing. At an absolutely ruthless level where people, where teams are able to exploit any potential weakness or mistake. So I kind of understand and have sympathy with what Ten Hag is trying to do. He's, he's trying to account for injuries, uh, people missing from the squad for various reasons and lo- massive loss of form. And now as a result of all these things combining into the perfect storm, a massive loss of confidence as well. Yeah. And, and he doesn't. Personally, I don't think he seems broken by it all yet. Actually, I think he's pretty determined. And I hope that says something about his character. But I also hope he's introspective enough to go, okay, some things have not worked out here. And you're right about like maybe going back to some basics. Would would it really hurt United to be perhaps a bit more transitional for a few games? You know, <laughs> just uh, just play to the strengths of this squad of, I mean... Admittedly, perhaps not in the best form, but we've got a lot of faith, speedy forwards, and we've got some players who like taking risks with the ball. Yeah. It lends itself to a team that perhaps just is a bit more conservative in terms of like trying to dominate the game. Yeah. And, and plays in the moments instead, just, just to get something out of the next few games. 
But I just mean, in terms of maybe risk is a little bit harsh, especially considering the Amrabat thing. But the Amrabat selection is the one I'm thinking of because when you can see that that's not working um, and it only needs a conversation with the players, the relevant players in this situation. So I asked Paul Parker about this because, you know, I do the weekly pod with him. And it was just a thought that I had. Like, so, and I, and I, so I remember well, something. He's available on a free transfer. I'm not sure about his mobility. No, say, so, but, no yeah. exactly. But no, the, the point had come to me because of a conversation I'd had with Mike Duxbury and when I was working with him like nine, nine years ago. And he was talking about playing right back. And now sometimes, even though he was right back, that was his, if anyone asks where he played, that was his, his normal position. He talks about sometimes liking to play in the middle of the park, not because of anything to do with the game, but because of being away from the crowd sometimes when times are hard. You're not listening to that. But the other thing that he said, which was really interesting, was the only position in that sort of area that he didn't like to play was at left back because his positional awareness from being so predominantly right footed and having to run down that line was so off when he moved to the left. The, yeah, that he couldn't play his natural game, and I think that's what he's seen with Amrabat. That he's not when someone's so badly out of position, it can disrupt and undermine everything. Even if we had a full yeah, complement, yeah. that would have undermined everything. So what I mean by I, I think it, you're right. Yeah, experiment. He's right footed. He, he's good at progressing with the ball. He's good on the ball. He's got a nice, clever this turn that he does, which is really smart. Yeah, we've seen it a few times where he's really good at holding the ball and shielding it. The unfortunate thing is where, it, because he's on his wrong side, when he does that turn, everyone is doing a collective internal breath because, intake of breath because he could lose the ball on the wrong side and they're breaking through. Now, if he's on the right hand side of the pitch and Dallow, who's played there before, that's the point I'm going to drop. Even if he's not like brilliant out there, that level of Below par is still levels above what Amrabat is in there. And oh, obvious, sure, yeah. You know, I, actually, I think there's another option here, which I wonder whether Ten Hag might consider, which is play Amrabat in the position we brought him to play, which is in central midfield. Yeah, making that area a bit more solid. Dallo can play at left back, and and Lindelof can play at right back. And I, I think that, and and unfortunately, because I have an agenda against all of them, that means unfortunately Harry Maguire would come back into the team, but. I just wonder whether that's a safer choice right now. Yeah. Sure, there's a couple of players out of position there, but not so wildly out of position that they're going to make catastrophic errors all the time. I hope, anyway. Could be proven ridiculously wrong when Harry Maguire sticks one in his own net against Brentford at the weekend. But yeah. but I just wonder whether that's a safer choice. Well, I, I think we do need to make safe choices at this moment in time because it's about rebuilding some of that confidence and... I can I can sit here and wax lyrical about people posting negative threads on Twitter, but those changes have to come internally, yeah. and that that's ten of responsibility, and that will have to mean safety first. Can we talk about something good? Rasmus bloody Hoyland, fucking hell, we got a striker, have we not? I mean, I know we've seen some we've seen some parts of him so far this season as he's been sort of reintegrate or integrated into the team after injury. But the run he makes for the opening goal and the header, just perfect. Striker's instinct. His second goal, brilliant run and finish, perfect finish. Dinks it over the keeper. We've already seen a great finish for him from him for the goal that was ruled out the other week and for the one that was accepted. 
So we, we, uh, he's a bloody big bastard. He's strong, really yeah. strong. Look at him in physical jewels, and he's fast. Yeah, he's well. a lot. He might not be Rashford fast, but he's fast, deceptively like, quick. Love it. Yeah, he's deceptively yeah. quick. Um, and I think that was funny because I was, I'd seen the clips. People have seen clips of him. Oh, not a lot from his Atalanta games, but still not enough to ascertain whether whether or not he was quick or just quicker than the defenders. He's up against in, in the in the clips and a lot of people are saying well he's actually quite slow you know what i mean you want to see how someone moves um in front of your eyes and the, he had a turn of pace like a blast or acceleration where he went past the defender for the second goal and it was thrilling to see that genuinely thrilling to see and then to see him obviously score but then the confidence he seemed to get from that that is going to be crucial for a very very obvious reason because up until last night and it's been quite obvious really is that he it's always looked like we are we really need a strike with experience and there's something raw about him that's nice it's easy to attach to but it also it can't dominate a game yet whereas last night it was kind yeah. of like an ugly duckling so like standing up and going hang on i can't be the main man here and he has to sort of adapt to that really quickly because he is the main man, whether or not he likes that. In, in that front role, he's got to stand up to that. And, and he did last night. It was a real... I hope that that's a turning point for him, like a quick one. I'm not saying that he was struggling, but this, this is a, a night where he's gone, all right, this is my platform. I, I score goals here now. This is what I do. Yeah. So even, even he was mentioned the one, that, the, the previous goals that was disallowed, the one last night that he, t- he took that really well, the one that was disallowed. And there was a moment, perhaps after a minute, where he um, he turned the defender, he held onto the ball, and then he ran down the left and set up a chance or, or crossed the ball in. And it did. It felt like he meant business for the first time last night. And yeah, maybe maybe it's because we've been starved of a striker for so long. But how refreshing to see! And when he's a young lad, and everyone else is low on confidence, and to see someone high on confidence and score goals the way that he did, a yeah. definite definite high point. Ah, oh, loved it. Yeah, just magic, all of it. And and look, I, I don't want to like increase the pressure by saying he's already better than Erling Haaland, but he's already better than Erling <laughs> Haaland, isn't he? Like miles better, the best ever. <laughs> and we didn't just buy him because his name sounds similar. No, I mean he he will develop in his own time. He's he's obviously a good player. The raw materials are there. I think you're you're right about we haven't like what we saw last night was not exactly what we've seen in other games. He actually struggled at the weekend against that low block yeah. uh he struggled to make any kind of impact really against palace can't do it all on his own he's not really that kind of player but uh but in those moments last night uh, i just thought yeah this is we've been missing this for so long well we've have we finally moved on from tony martial i think we might have done although, uh, he, came, although he came on again came last on. night didn't he yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, I think I think we have in terms of prominence because he already looks the part in a way that we haven't seen probably since Latan. Is that unfair? If it, I think if it's the role more naturally than it, than anyone really, I I know I, I don't know. So I was gonna say since since Latan, then Lukaku he did look the part for a bit. A little bit until if, Cavani at moments, yeah, yeah, it could be even yeah. Cavani. You never thought. He's he's the one. No, yeah, I I yeah. really there's there's a lot to like about him, and I do if he if he if he can take last night as a confidence step forward, and like you said, 
about he did struggle at the weekend, and that's not his fault, really. At this moment in time, it's not his fault. But he did, he's also a matter of the players who played around him. Because I thought Mount played all right last night. Um, it was his best game for us. Um, he's been yeah. all right since he came back from injury. So, and maybe those are the kind of players that he needs around him because I, uh, the ideal or the, the obvious thing in, in people's heads would be, oh, well, you need two players crossing to him, you know, the two wide men crossing for Oiland and then he can cause havoc, but not really. Maybe, maybe it's Fernandez and Ericsson and Mount showing this creativity around him and opening defenses up. So he, because he, he's good in those kind of areas as we saw last night. And yeah, uh, yeah. He actually has a very poor record with his head. Yeah. So it was nice. It was nice that he got a heady goal. I, I don't think that's actually where United are going to score a lot of goals with him. I think it's in the channels and his movement and his pace that will cause the problems. So feed that, feed yeah. the beast as much as possible. That was a game, obviously, really disappointing. What was also disappointing were the scenes at the end of the game where thousands of what seemed like thousands of Galatasaray fans were in all sections of the stadium that wasn't assigned to them. And this is this is concerning for two reasons, I think. One is obviously a safety issue. And uh, I don't think there was any major trouble last night, but there could have been, and it is quite provocative to have uh, fans in the wrong section of the stadium. Uh, so I think both United, it seems like they are already looking into this and, and UEFA will probably have something to say about that. And then the second one is, how did those tickets get into the hands of um, Galatasaray fans? And there have been lots and lots of ideas opined online and I have no knowledge whatsoever. And I'm sure that's what the investigation will look at. But obviously... Uh, People saying things like, this is the resale of tickets through the, I guess, the official resale channels. And there's frustration with the fact that it's quite hard to pass your tickets on to a mate without being sort of accused of touting. Or was this through UEFA channels? Someone else said that they thought it was UEFA allocation also ended up in Galatasaray hands. All of it pretty concerning. Yeah. Um, wasn't just the end of the game, Ed, to be honest. It was a... yeah. That was there, obviously, throughout. It was quite, it was quite a difficult night, really. So you could tell something wasn't right before, beforehand. There were a lot of fans around. So like, there was police escort for, for the away fans, but there were a lot of people wearing not just Galatasaray shirts, Fenerbahce shirts, the other Istanbul clubs, like two, the two other clubs. There's a lot of different Shik-tas fans. And the other one that we lost to, yeah. Yeah. The Raphael's old club. Um, I, I can't. It's like Sheer or something like that. I can't pronounce yeah. it. Yeah. But then all of these fans, um, all of these shirts were present. Yeah, most predominantly Galatasaray, but all the others. And then you had a lot of people just wearing United shirts over Galatasaray shirts. So they, you know, they'd gone into the mega store and tried to look inconspicuous. So, and they were all milling around and you, you, something didn't feel right. And then, so when we tried to get into the ground, there are a lot of queue jumpers. You sometimes get that anyway, a few scallies, but you could tell that this didn't feel right. And even outside, as we're queuing up people, there are rules and regulations around smoking and, and obstruction and things like that. And the stewards weren't, I'm not saying that they weren't doing the job, but they seem to be turning a blind eye to a lot of unnecessary aggro before, before we even got into the ground. 
And so I was spending my normal place in, in South Sand, um, near the tunnel. And so that's near the TRA section. And when, so we, I, I go every game, you know, I go Champions League game and the mm-hmm. League Cup games and, and the FA Cup games as well. And when those Cup Just games. Just naming all the competitions there. Yeah, you know, the reason why I'm saying that is because. Bears Cup, Milk Cup, Intercity. Well, there's a different, there's a different audience there from league yeah, games yeah, to yeah. cup games because obviously not everyone goes to the league cup games. Around, not yeah. everyone opts in. Yeah. Um, and I, there's a, you know, people have also got cup season tickets. Yes. Yes. And so we can tell the difference because to, to our right, there are a couple of lads who come to cup games, but they don't come to, or they did, they came to the cup games, but they don't come to the league games. And. In the pre-season, because we know that, that that seat next to us, on the right to us, is is one of the vacant ones because it changes every week. It's either yeah. sold someone in hospitality or or, or the, it was one of these cup season tickets. So I called up and tried to get it. You know, like my nephew comes with us now. I thought it'd be nice that he's always got a seat there. And they, they refused to sell it. They wouldn't even in, into, uh, enter negotiations by it. They wouldn't, you know, it's data protection, blah, 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 blah. Unbelievable. Blah. Didn't you say, don't you know who I am? Well, I said, don't you know who my, to... don't you know who my nephew is? Um, sent them pictures of him. No, but they said like, you know, the old data protection, they, they, they wouldn't even consider it, even though those tickets yeah. would go on sale. And last night, a Turkish fan was in that seat and not just right. in that seat. We were surrounded and I'm talking about my wife and I in the two seats and then probably around 15 Turkish Galatas that were not, not necessarily Galatasaray fans, probably, but all sat around us. And that the penny dropped about that because you don't always sort of take a, a notice of everyone who sat around you. But it became a little bit obvious maybe ten minutes in the way that they were behaving. Um, nothing like untoward or anything like that. But then we scored, and everything was weirdly silent ah, all right old trafford silent and all that sort of stuff but we've got a generally good atmosphere where, where around we are and they'll make noises we'll sing songs and everything like that but it was weirdly quiet so that was the first sort of concern and then they scored and it was still weirdly quiet they were obviously holding it in and then we scored again they were i mean there was one lad who was obviously a turkish lad and he was singing United songs, right? So I didn't know if he was like, you know, if he was a United fan, if he'd just been roped in with the family or his mates and they'd all got these tickets around us. But then when they got the penalty, everyone around us stood up and they've all got the phones out, you know, like that. This is their big moment. Muted celebrations when they scored a few minutes after that. And then it was a reaction to the phone thing. There was some trouble down like a few rows away. Someone had kicked off about it. said, like, what are you doing? What are you doing? So they'd been a bit of a trouble and the steward escorted the United fan out and, you know, nothing was done with the, the lads around us. And it did start to, that was the moment then everything started to really kick off around us because there was some stuff right. was, like in between the tunnel and the director's box. So there was something going off in the director's box someone got ejected from there. That was a Turkish fan. Something that happened really early on in the game, actually. In the top of the East stand, a Turkish lad had set off a flare. And we right. like, immediately looked up at that thinking, something's gone off there. And there's some video footage of that online now where 
Yeah, he's yeah. walked down the stairs after that, and people are like, they're at him, and I think he, he must have got ejected or something. But then they started going off. Not in, it wasn't widespread around the ground, but there were two or three around the ground as well as in the away end. And and then you know, like you're starting to get a little bit concerned when all these confrontations started going off around us, and people were getting like moved out. You know, they were, the stewards were coming to some, and they weren't going to all of them. And it was because they weren't going to all of them, and we were surrounded. I started to feel. I actually started to feel unsafe, and I was thinking, I don't know how wise it is to stay here while this game is close as it's coming to an end because there's obviously growing dissent in the crowd those who are United fans were getting really annoyed at, like the, the team but also this situation where they've realised they're starting to realise that because I know that there's Andy Mitten put up a video and a couple of other people have put videos after the final yeah. whistle I can assure you there are a lot more Turkish fans than that in the crowd Maybe they, they got yeah. out and, but there were a lot more and it was quite intimidating. Wasn't quite sure what to do. We, we did stay and just sort of tried to be sheepish about it as, as we got out, but it wasn't pleasant and, and it was intimidating. That's all. And obviously they've come out, the club has come out and said that they, they're investigating it or, or maybe they haven't, they've not announced either, but there's reports that they're doing that. There are reports. Yeah. I don't know. I, it was very concerning because I, I don't know. The obvious point is that they've those tickets have gone on resale. I, I feel quite disappointed that, that a lot of supporters have said that they donated them back to the foundation. That's whatever. When we don't go, we yeah. We so I saw that online. Yeah, people saying that. Yeah, it's it, obviously there's going to have to be. I mean, we'll see. We'll see whether there's transparency about what happened here. As ever, it's it may be difficult to uncover exactly what happened, but clearly, clearly that must because it's not just in a block; it was everywhere. Clearly, some of those resale tickets have handed, ended up in the wrong hands. You know, I was going to say two things, and this is not to mitigate from the what has happened, but I went to a lot of games away and sat in the quote unquote wrong end. Yeah, I, I just. I, I knew people who would get me tickets and there were a group of us that went and we did that a lot. And there was a time when United fans really would go everywhere in the oh, country yeah, and sure, dominate yeah. there. I mean, yeah, I'm sure you've been to, I like, I've been to Selhurst Park with, yeah, that game against Wimbledon where like 90% of, this is in the 90s, 90% of the ground with the United, uh, yeah. same at Notts County, uh, but at bigger grounds too, at Anfield and at Spurs and, and others where United fans were just, and Europe, in fact. So, it does happen. People find a way to get tickets, but but we don't want trouble, do we? And we don't want an intimidating atmosphere like that where people feel unsafe. So there's that. I was at the game, and I can't remember what year, this late 90s, when uh, Fenerbahce came to Old Trafford and won. Um, it might have been the first European Nin game United had lost. 96, yeah. yeah. And that, that was full of Fenerbahce fans everywhere. Yeah. I think it was Milan came to... Old Trafford once, and they were singing like 90 minutes of songs about Juventus, which was kind of interesting with some, I was going to say four-letter words, but they're not four-letter in Italian. Yeah. There were thousands of them. So it does, it does happen, but clearly, if there'd been trouble last night... Uh, more trouble. Insane, I think wait, that Or more trouble. Yeah, if it'd been really serious and fighting had broken out and... It could definitely have happened. There'd be a real problem right but, now. Look, I, I I don't know how widespread it was, and obviously these are allegations that I'm 
saying that there were third party allegations because I've heard them from someone else. But people are saying that they've got films of women and children being hit and stuff like that. And that the complaints were made. And I know of a lot of people who have made complaints into the club voicing comments of that nature. So, and we don't know that they might just be allegations or something, but I did see a lot of scuffles and stuff like that. And yeah, all right, scuffles happen at football. But I think maybe it's just a little bit of sensitivity as well because of there's, there's not a really United and Galatasaray don't have a great history. English fans and Turkish fans together don't really have a great history of mixing. It's just, I guess, it might just be a good trigger for some kind of ticket reform at United or a more sensible way of allocating. Because yeah. There's no, well, I mean, there, there is frustration, isn't there, amongst fans about how, how not only like who gets tickets and the composition of the Old Trafford crowd, like, and, but, and where. But also, what happens if you can't go and you want to transfer your ticket or season ticket yeah. to a friend versus reselling it at a profit? And it's it's yeah, it's difficult. I mean, living in the the states, ticketing is done extremely differently. Uh, it's all on this dynamic pricing thing, which is absolutely horrible if it's a popular event because the prices really rocket and don't feel like good value for money. And loads and loads of stuff is resold all the time at way over markup. And then you pay the ticket agencies like Ticket Price or well, the Ticketmaster yeah. or whoever loads and loads of fees. So it really, really contributes to, to prices for live events really escalating. I hope we're not going to head that way in football. It's never been that way in England, that prices are dynamic. But there's been the trickle trickle of that happening where seats that are not sold for cup games are repurposed for for hospitality, off-site hospitality. Yeah. And people are frustrated about that. Yeah. But this this is, I would imagine that last night was, it really just does depend on how many people were annoyed by it. And this isn't like, my experience of it was fairly mild and I, f- I felt intimidated, but nothing happened. And sometimes people feel intimidated at football. It's not the only time I felt intimidated at a football ground. I think it just felt, I felt like, Sometimes when you, let me rephrase this, when you go to a football ground and you feel intimidated, it's usually because of the behavior of the people. When you are sat in the safety of your home fans, where you've been for a long time, you've sat there for a long time, you know the people around you, and suddenly you don't feel completely comfortable. I think that's a question, not for the people, but for the, for the people who put those people in them seats, really. And yeah, yeah. And then the, the, the yeah. questions are being asked, aren't they? We, we, so we're already, that's actually already happening. I'm just recounting my experience for, for posterity. Yeah. No, no, it's good. It's good context. It's good insight. <laughs> Quick word on reports this week that Sir Jim Ratcliffe and Ineos may be prepared to take a, a minority stake in United rather than the full buyout. My thoughts on this are twofold. One, I think that's it's probably right that that is being explored because of the reluctance of the Glazer kids to, to sell their stake. And I think that would only happen, given that he could go do that and buy 25% of the club on the public markets now. It would only happen if there was some kind of put option in there that allowed him to, to, to ratchet up his ownership in the club towards a full buyout at some kind of 
yeah. either fixed or variable price in the future. Uh, and this is based on the belief of the Glazer family, of which I'm not fully in sync, that there is huge amounts of value to be had in the years to come out of football. And that they don't want to be leaving money on the table by selling now when they think they could get a much better price later. But the revenues and profits of the club don't reflect that better price yet. Yeah. Anyway, that's what, that's what I think is happening without actually having proper insight into this. But yeah, it's, I don't think it'll go down very well if it did play out like that, in that it would leave the Glazer family in some kind of temporary partial ownership yeah. and or control of the club. Yeah. I, yeah. While we move to a post-Glazer future. Well, your analysis of it is always more sound than mine because you're from a background that understands those kind of processes. From a supporter's perspective, I look at it and I think, from, I know you're a supporter as well, I'm from purely a supporter without the <laughs> background, from that perspective, I look at it and I think it seems a curious time to do that. Or for that to come out when I guess that option's been there for a long time and like why would it come out this late stage and you don't hear anything about the other side and that to me perhaps suggests that perhaps talks are more advanced with Jacine and that's the thing that it's quieter so it's it's running more smoothly and, and Ratcliffe's been a little bit more desperate with that. I don't... It makes sense in, in the aspect of getting into the club at all if that's you know maybe the 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 point was put back on them that they don't pre- they're not prepared to sell and they're going to move on to a different things so then Ratcliffe has gone back to the table and offered this different proposition it doesn't make a lot of it doesn't seem to me on the outside to make a lot of sense for Ratcliffe other than just to get his foot in the door and he doesn't really yeah. Which, which is, by the way, how the Glazers took over in the first place. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. In, incremental parts of the club until the full takeover. Yeah, it was a, the, the the long game for them. And it doesn't immediately. I don't think it helps the club too much in terms. Doesn't of, at all. No, in terms yeah. of the debt and everything um, like that. So, obviously, thirty-one percent of the club is now owned in the public markets. Most of that money that was raised by the Glazer family selling off those shares went directly to them. Some did pay down debt temporarily because it's crept back up to uh, really astronomical levels so in theory the glazer family could sh- sell off some shares and that money could be used for investment in the club or paying down debt in reality it's very very unlikely to happen because that's not really how private equity works this mm. would effectively i mean jim jim my mate my bestie jim no sir jim Ratcliffe is former private equity guy you know it's very familiar kind of structure for a deal this and and in fact for a takeover in phases as well it's not like it's i wouldn't say it's common but it's definitely happened so it wouldn't really surprise me for a structure like this to be put in place or at least be part of the negotiations of course could all be nonsense and we're just waiting for another couple of years to see if the glazer wet dream of massive amounts of new money coming into football plays out and the valuation of the club to go through the roof as a result. I mean, it's certainly, I just, I, when I say I didn't really, I don't really believe it. I think there's a huge amount of global interest in football, never been higher, and especially the American market opening up. I just think it's quite hard. It's actually quite hard for United to extract that. So yeah. the Premier League has just rolled over its TV contract. So we're not really talking to a 
about another TV contract until 2028 when they'll yeah. do it jointly with the EFL. The new UEFA contracts just started another three-year cycle. Well, from next year, we'll be starting a new three-year cycle. It's going to be a bit more money. But 15 to 20 million in in a good scenario, more per year in revenues, non-profits. And tapping into that that American market, well, if it's not in broadcast deals, because also the NBC contract's tied up for another few years, it's in sponsorships, and we've just tied front of shirt and and front of shirt and kit manufacturer to mega long deals. So where's this new money coming from? I just don't buy it in the three to five year time frame. Yeah, and you do feel like a lot is riding on the fortunes of the team to be a lot better than what they are in order to sort of self perpetuate that investment coming yeah, the other way around sure. and. It's difficult to see that. It's just difficult to see it. Yep. All right. Back to the team. Got a game against Brentford at the weekend. Oh, man. I just, I was going to say it feels like a banana skin, but I don't think that's the right analogy in this kind of situation because Brentford are better than that. And they also play a, a brand of football, which is, oh, it's almost perfectly shaped to cause United problems. Yeah. Right now with the composition of our team. And so I'm really, I'm really not looking forward to it at all. I'm just really not looking forward to it. I'm almost expecting defeat, which is like a really negative cycle to get into. But yeah, yeah. how are you feeling? Same, really. I, I, I'm trying to remember, we played Brentford under Ragnick, maybe his last home game, and we won 3-0. And they probably played better football than us on the day. Ericsson played for them. And he played quite well. Yeah, they set up to play to cause us a lot of problems. And I can see that happening. The reason why United won in in that moment was because they had quality. And once they scored the first goal, they were able to sort of kill off Brentford's naivety with coming to Old Trafford. And, you know, it's the first time in the top flight coming to Old Trafford. And so maybe a little bit overawed by the stage. They will have seen other t- They will have seen Forrest coming to Old Trafford and playing good football and being very unlucky not to win themselves. Mm-hmm. And they'll be confident. And United are not confident. And like I said, I, maybe not this Saturday. Maybe you know United will pull one out of the bag or maybe we'll draw. But it, it feels like there's something bigger bubbling. And even if we lost to Brentford and even if we lost by a couple of goals. And I hate to be this pessimistic, but I'm talking about the mood of the club. And I'm not, and I'm being serious, Ed. Yeah. I'm not talking about like saying, oh, we're going to lose 3 0 and get battered. And that's what we should all expect. What I mean is we could lose 2 or 3 0 or 2 or 3 1. And it, it's still not going to, to me, not feel like we are at the pit of where this is heading at the moment. And I, and maybe it will because I, I, I can't quite articulate what this feeling is. Or why I feel this way. Why it's, it's a sense of foreboding. And it's not necessarily it's all going to come down to the inevitable change of manager. I feel it's quite seismic with the club. We've had a fair few washouts in previous generations and years. And I, I, I'm thinking like, and it should have been like losing 5 0 at home to Liverpool or 7 0 at Anfield. That should have been the pit. But then I think of we lost. Way, way back before, before you or I were even conceived or even 
parents may not have even been conceived. When, when Palace won 5 0 against United at Sellers and Franco Farrell was sighted and Tommy Docky was hired, and then still took another 16 months for us to be relegated. I'm not saying we're going to be relegated. United couldn't be. I don't think it, there's too much, even even for their paucity at the moment, there's still too much commercial power in, yeah, in United yeah. to go down. This is, they're too average a team to go down. Do you know what I mean? They, they, they can't go down because they're too average for that. They've got a level which would prohibit that from happening. But there's something there. And I, and I, I don't know. It's kind of like you'll know it when you see it or you'll know it when you're there. But it, I feel we could easily lose. We could get a tonking off Brentford. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. I, and I don't Brentford think weren't, they weren't awesome against Forest. Did enough. Didn't they? But it's not about game it's, out. It's not about. It's the, not about. It's yeah. not no exactly. I, I think we know what we got. We'll get with Brentford. They they will uh, they will press high because that's what Thomas Frank's teams do, uh, and they will try to take advantage of moments of transition, which will happen. And they've got some fast players up front, and some pragmatic players in the middle of in the middle of the park. And so that's why. I and say I think they set up quite well to cause United some problems here. Yep. I'd say I'd put a bet on it, but that'd be unfair to Ivan Tony. He'll be missing. No, he's, he's looking good though, isn't he? In his, uh, have you seen the, the clips his, of him in his friendlies? Yeah, Take him back in, in training. Good player. Yeah. Good player. More than we can afford. Anyway, we don't need him because we've got Rasmus Hoyland. The one problem. The greatest striker to ever played the game. The one problem you. that is solved at United for now. Uh, for now, yeah. Till he goes on a 25 game run of not scoring goals and shanking them wide at every opportunity. <laughs> yeah. All right. I think that's it. We've, oh man. I almost felt in, and this was naive, of course. I was like, have we turned a corner in beating, getting that narrow win at Burnley and beating Palace in the cup? Have we turned the corner now? Is this the moment? Wasn't, was it? Good luck, everyone. Enjoy the game. See you next time.